Yeah, I've heard that special mark message. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. Our planet is pelted with about 15 to 20 tons of asteroid debris. A significant majority of these celestial travelers either disintegrate in the Earth's atmosphere or shatter upon impact, sinking into the ocean's depths. Only a minute fraction survives the brutal journey to touch the Earth's surface, and within that, an even smaller percentage is more than just an inert rock. The Redwood Bureau, with its long-lasting mission to contain anomalies from beyond our world, treats these events with the gravitas they deserve, given their inherent unpredictability and potential for cataclysmic consequences. As these anomalies don't adhere to the rules of our world, an entire high-security wing of the Bureau is devoted exclusively to the containment and study of these extraterrestrial phenomena. From the time of my initiation into the covert circles of the Redwood Bureau, I've yet to encounter a case involving extraterrestrial debris or contact that didn't come with a mortality count. More often than not, this includes the unfortunate agents dispatched for field response. Being assigned to a cosmic class phenomenon is a quick ticket to one of two things, a commendation and a significant bump up the career ladder, or a solemnly attended funeral. These cases are tied together by a single, unsettling thread, their formidable unpredictability. The ticking clock of time is an agent's nemesis in these situations. Each passing moment of an uncontained threat exponentially increases the probability of a catastrophic outcome. I've known several instances where these celestial threats, if allowed to fester, could have escalated into an apocalypse. The case I am about to delve into may indeed be counted, indeed among, be such counted among such instances. Another sleepless night as I stare off into the dark ceiling. My brain, like every other night, won't relent with its endless tangents and what-ifs. I stress about things I haven't thought of all day and remember things that happened to me years ago. I move from one side of my body to the other, constantly flipping my pillow and adjusting my blankets. It's always like this, and even still after 27 years of life on this planet, I couldn't explain to you how to fall asleep if you paid me. For me, sleep is like something you chase, but at the end finds you, when and if it feels like it. Just another night. Except for the fact that it wasn't. As my eyes focused on the static in the dark, my room suddenly illuminated brilliantly. It was so bright I was confused as to what had happened. I thought for a moment that maybe I'd fallen asleep and opened my eyes to daylight. This theory, however, was quickly disproven as the light danced through my window, allowing spots of darkness in as if it were the thing out of place. 
I threw the sheet off my body and ran to look out the window through squinted eyes. The light was still bright to a point that it hurt to look at. I covered my eyes with my hand, spreading my fingers only slightly to try and control the intruding brilliance. Finally, the light started to dim as a bright streak with a green trail headed straight towards the ground what seemed like a very short distance away. As quickly as it had started, the event came to an end with a dull thud that couldn't have been a mile away. My heart was pounding as I stood still in disbelief, gaping out of my window. The only remnants of the blinding light were the afterburn of its blazing trail while I tried to blink it away. What looked like an actual meteor just crashed minutes from my apartment, and it seemed like I was either the only one awake or the only one who noticed. A few more minutes went by as I just stood there, looking at the spot where I thought it landed, trying to decide what to do. I mean, had I really just seen an actual object fall from space, or did I dream the whole thing and got up staring out my window like a deluded moron? The afterimage still flashed in my eyes every time I blinked. There's no way it was a dream. So now I try to decide if I go wandering around at, I check my phone, 3.43 a.m. in the dark and very cold. With my phone in hand, I quickly search up meteorites and gawk at the results. Some of these, depending on the size and composition, are going for tens of thousands of dollars. There wasn't much more convincing needed after that as I was already strapping on my boots and grabbing a nice warm coat as well as a hat and gloves. As an afterthought, I swiped the flashlight off my nightstand before grabbing my keys and heading out the door. My heart was pounding as I fitted the key into the top lock before heading down the concrete stairs. Cold air filled my lungs as I briskly walked through the outside corridor and into the wooded field behind the apartments. Even if I found a rock that was worth $500, that would be great. I could really use that. I mean, even if it was worth nothing, how cool would it be to have something not only from outer space, but something from outer space that I found myself? Then again, what if it was a giant chunk of gold that happens, right? A huge rock of space gold? I could be rich. My mind is going a million miles a second before I get control of it and realize I hadn't been paying that much attention to where I was heading. Surely I had to be getting close. Everything seemed normal. There was no fire, no sirens, no chaos. Part of me expected to follow a trail of destruction to my pot of gold, but it was just quiet. I continued walking while scanning the ground with my flashlight, the condensation from my breath floating listlessly away. 
Doubt was creeping in as my tired and out-of-shape body begged for my warm bed and a sleepless night. Maybe I should just go back inside. This is crazy. The brilliant, fiery trail replayed in my mind. No, I know what I saw, and it wasn't a dream. It must be around here somewhere, I told myself. It was so close. Before I could spiral anymore, I saw it. A mound of disturbed earth, as unnatural in grass and scattered trees as anything could have been in that moment. Slowly I approached the mound, my heart hammering in my ears. This was real. It happened to me. I peered into the hole. It was maybe two feet wide by four feet deep. Overall, unimpressive. But what was in it seemed to be obscured by a layer of swirling fog. This struck me as odd because I hadn't seen fog anywhere else. I kneeled to the ground in front of the small crater, lowering myself even closer to its mysterious contents. My right hand shakes as I lower it in. My plan was to waft the fog and see what lies within the hole. Things didn't exactly go as I planned, though. Should have been my first indication something was wrong. As soon as my gloved hand made contact with the fog, it scattered. It rolled up the sides of the crater and off into the dark as if it were a living entity that was running away. Ordinarily, this would be something that would capture approximately all of my attention. But as fast as the fog had run, it was out of my thoughts as well when the crater's contents were revealed to me. In the dead center was a semicircular object about the size of a softball. It shimmered under my flashlight as I moved it around. It was almost like those motion cards that had two different images you could view if looking at a different angle. The colors a rainbow wash, deep and infinite, like a galaxy. I couldn't know what it was, but I knew it was mine. My gloved hand scooped it up, barely within my reach. I tucked it to my chest while pulling myself back out of the small crater. It felt empty in my hand as I stared at the alien object. Not light or damaged, but empty, like it was missing something. I don't know what it was that made me think that, but I just knew. I tucked the strange orb under my arm in my best attempt to hide it from whatever prying eyes might be out there, and made my way back to my apartment as nonchalantly as possible. The weight of the object was heavy on me, and not its physical weight, but the strange feeling of emptiness that called out for something. Something that I could provide. My thoughts and emotions cascaded, and before I knew it, I was back at my apartment with the door double locked and the object on my counter. I peeled off the layers of cold protection 
and simply dropped them to the floor, not taking my eyes off the object, for fear that if I let it out of my sight, it would vanish like that mysterious fog. Under the full light, it was even more indescribable. Beautiful and haunting, the colors slowly mixed and swirled while fading in and out of black. It was so subtle and natural, it was almost a trick of the light. But knowing it had fallen out of the sky, I was sure it was something else. A long while I stared at the thing, my racing mind quiet and content to just take in the egg's appearance. I don't know when I started thinking of it as an egg, but that's simply what I accepted it as. Before the thought even crossed my mind, I was holding the egg in my hands, its swirling patterns invading my psyche. It was cold in my grip, not cold to the touch, but cold to the bone, as if I were holding the deepest, darkest corners of space in my hands. The void was looking into me, and I was lost within it. Swirling emptiness of muted rainbows took hold of everything as the egg had its fill of me. The last thing I saw was the cold empty void before my world went to true black and consciousness left me. Just before I hit the ground, I understood one last thing. That object wasn't an egg. It was a vessel. Just as I am. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Signal connection restored. 
I awake an undetermined amount of time later. My head felt like someone had spent an afternoon smashing it with a sledgehammer, and my mouth was so dry I couldn't even swallow. Sunlight filtered through my vertical blinds and cut straight into the center of my throbbing brain. I looked down to my hands to see the mysterious object still there. It wasn't a dream. But it was different now. It looked dry and hollow, with little to no color at all, and certainly no swirling brilliance. It looked dead. I tried to set the object on the floor to reclaim use of my hands, but it felt as if it were stuck to me. I looked closely at the object to see tendrils coming off that had burrowed into my hands. Panic sunk into my stomach as I sat up and pulled away feverishly from the alien object that had dug its way into me. It hurt as I pulled those lines that were buried into my palms, but not nearly as bad as my throbbing head. Finally, with an audible rip, the vessel came loose and dropped to the floor. The second it impacted, it crumbled to dust. I stared in disbelief at the pile of ashy dirt, all that remained of a meteorite I had found. What was that thing? I asked myself as the waves of vibrating pain assaulted my brain. Opening my palms, I examined them to see dozens of red marks on each of them. What had it done to me? My stomach retched, twisting in unbelievable agony. The acid burned every part of me as it forced its way through my body and out of my mouth. <coughs> spilling onto the floor. My vision was wavering, the throw-up on the floor appearing as a deep black and spreading around me. The pulsating throb in my head was too much to bear as I once again fell unconscious. I didn't so much wake up as I was just suddenly awake. I could feel and sense Everything hurt, but I only cared about one thing. I was hungry, unbearably so. The floor around me, where I had thrown up in my feverish state, was stained black and looked almost partially melted. This hardly registered in my mind, food the only thought I could grasp onto. I knew the pain in my aching legs was too much to walk, so without even trying to stand, I crawled my way to the fridge. Every single inch was a fight through unbelievable fatigue and a pain that felt as if my bones and muscle might snap. But eventually, I made it, and with great struggle, I managed to get the refrigerator door open. It wasn't until after all this that it even crossed my mind. I hadn't been grocery shopping for almost two weeks. Money had been a bit tight, and I had virtually nothing to eat. 
The only thing sitting in my fridge was a large box of old Chinese takeout. My weak, shaking hand reached for it, even though I knew it wasn't good. I'd meant to throw that out well over a week ago. I clutch the edge of the styrofoam box and pull. It's stuck to the bottom of the shelf at first, but then it breaks loose, spilling all over the floor in front of me. The food isn't good. There's mold growing on it, and it smells rotten. Before I can even help myself, my body moves on its own, slurping up the rotten food from the floor. I want to stop. I want to puke as the disgusting putrid food slides down my throat. But I can't stop myself. I won't. It's not until every bite is gone and I'm licking the rancid juices off the linoleum before I'm even allowed control of my body again. I rolled onto my back, tears freely streaming from my eyes. And they hurt. I wipe at the tears and look at the black, vicious substance. What is happening to me? From the kitchen counter, my phone rings. I hardly notice the mundane event while my mind races. The phone rings again before I even really consider it. The pain in my body is slightly less as I get to my feet and unsteadily make my way to the now silent phone. I unplug it from the charger, causing the screen to illuminate. 37 missed calls. What? I blink several times, not quite understanding the situation. Had something happened? I check the call log, and several are from my friends, but a vast majority of the calls are from work. There's absolutely nothing my employers could need that would cause them to call me this many times. That thought quickly dissipated as I noticed the day of the week. I'd either traveled back in time, or I'd been unconscious on the floor for six days. Frantically, I opened my calendar and then cross-referenced with my last sent text messages. I had been unconscious on the floor for at least six days. A feeling of sinking despair in the pit of my stomach was growing deeper by the second. Stumbling down the hallway, I tried to run to the bathroom, but ended up drunkenly staggering while using the walls to hold me up. I needed some cold water in my face to wake me up, and this was all too much. My hand grips the faucet handle and turns, causing water to pour out. But I freeze as my eyes lock onto the mirror. I hardly recognize the person looking back at me. My skin is pale with an almost light green hue. My eyes have a yellowish tint, and my pupils aren't just black, they're empty and infinite. The skin on my right side twitches and crawls, followed by a debilitating pain. 
I dropped down to my knees once again, clutching myself in agony. Then, I feel something just under the skin. It's hard and protruding, like a bone, but in the soft part of my midsection where no bones should be. Under my fingers, the hard mass within my body shifted violently, causing great pain within me, and a fear I'd never known. Something was in me. As soon as this indescribable panic arose, it was replaced with something else. Hunger. It wasn't that I forgot about what was happening to me. It was more so that it didn't matter. I needed to eat. My body was in shambles. I could hardly walk on my stiff, aching joints and burning muscles. Every step felt like a marathon. Every inch a losing battle. I tore my fridge apart, but there was absolutely nothing to eat. And I needed food. Now. I was descending the stairs outside before I even remembered opening my door. The way I was walking must have looked like a zombie if anyone had seen me. Then... I was digging through the dumpster in the back of the parking lot. Somehow I managed to crawl inside of it. Anything that was remotely considered food, I was shoving into my mouth. Rotten, moldy, or anything in between, it didn't matter. I was unable to stop myself. I needed every disgusting calorie. Then I heard the squeak. My body froze. Inside of me, my bones seemed to twitch, starting from the bottom of my spine and traveling up to my neck. The hairs on my body stood up as I became hyper-focused on the small noise in the corner of the dumpster. With a speed I've never been capable of, my hand shot through the layers of garbage and pulled back a squealing rat in its grip. It was with mixed feelings I regarded the creature as it wriggled in my grasp while biting at my fingers. The only cohesive thought I could muster was food. Then its body was in my mouth. Bloody fur and bone pulverized between my teeth as I let the disgusting organic matter slide down my throat and took another huge bite. It was exactly what I needed. The living tissue revitalized my battered body. I devoured three more living rats before crawling back out of the dumpster. With my hunger slightly satiated, I was once again in control of my body. My thoughts were a swirling mix of chaotic panic, disgust, fear, and pain. I didn't know what to do, who I could possibly call. Back in my apartment, I locked the door and shut myself in the bathroom. My fingers absent-mindedly poked at the protrusions under my skin while my mind raced. If I went to the hospital, what would I even tell them? 
There were so many now, responding to my touch, writhing under the skin. Would they quarantine me? Call the government? Lock me away? Cut me open? The growths mirror the movements of my fingertips, copying the force and direction. I couldn't tell anyone. They wouldn't understand. They wouldn't help. The growths caress me from within. While it hurts, I know the pain isn't the intent. I'm alone in this world. Anyone I tell will only want to hurt me. They'll want to capture me, imprison me, torture me. Just like last time. The face in the mirror is someone else. Something else. The face in the mirror is me. I know now. The pain is simply a phase. And this too shall pass. I look into my pupils. Into the void. The void looks into me. I'm alone. And yet, I'm not. I feel it inside of me. The pain is a small price to pay. I'll never be alone again. And I think, maybe others can join us. My pupils dilate, the void consuming nearly the entirety of my eye. Then they shrink into a vertical slit. My iris an almost pale glowing yellow. Panic wells up inside of me, but is quickly calmed as a relaxing cool washes its way through my veins. I'm not worried. I don't need to be scared anymore. This simply is. I need rest. I'm exhausted. The initial days were rough. The human body was never meant to handle the strain of these changes. I'm still new to this thing inside of me. I must be careful. While I have a tone of control over my body, it's a strange dance we do. We're still learning. I know if I don't get the sustenance I need, well... Anything could happen. Things haven't been so bad. While the pain comes and goes, my body is in a constant state of flux. I'm pretty sure I urinated out my liver this morning. That was quite painful. It's said that life is always evolving, but it wasn't until this that I understood exactly what that means. My skin feels like it's made of sandpaper. It's so tough now. The knife wouldn't even penetrate my wrist. I can't remember what I was feeling or why I tried to do that. But with two extra holes in my skull, I can think so much more clearly. 
those protrusions in my side, they came out. Well, two have so far, one on each side. They're a few feet long and thin, almost like tentacles. They kind of do their own thing, but if I focus, I can control them. The tentacles can extend a bit further than their initial length by shooting out like a chameleon's tongue, but mine has a sharp bony tip I can protract. I found this out while hunting in the woods earlier. Useful when climbing trees and not having a free hand to catch prey. I've become faster, stronger, and able to sense things around me. I can almost see living things. Their body heat stands out to me like a glowing beacon. With the new senses I have, I've been able to find prey much easier, and all this sweet, delicious meat has been so helpful. The more meat I eat, the more my body changes. I've eaten so much, I'm starting to lose track of what tastes good and what doesn't. I don't even think it matters anymore. I'm always hungry now. I think that's one of the new things I don't like so much. I took a nap yesterday. I woke up with a stomach ache, but also a vaguely familiar taste in my mouth. While I was asleep, I think my body ate some of the skin that was starting to rip. As I digested it, I found my sense of smell was able to detect a bit more than ever before. I don't know how, but it tastes sweet to me. Maybe the best meat I've had. My body is changing. It needs more food. But I think the animals are starting to learn. I haven't caught prey for what seems like so long. I'm starving. Oh god, I'm starving and it hurts so bad. My stomach feels like it's on fire. I'm so hungry. I can't catch any food. I need to have food. I need to have something. I have to have food. I'm so hungry. I need to have food. I need to have food. I'm so hungry. I need to have food. I'm so hungry. I need to have food. I need to have food. I'm so hungry. I need to have food. I need to have food. By the time the frantic 911 calls began echoing through the dispatch system, it was already a bloodbath of horrific proportions. The Bureau utilizes advanced computational algorithms to detect and dispatch agents to anomalies. When the system identifies potential phenomena, it accomplishes two critical tasks. Firstly, 
It reroutes the incoming distress call directly to the Bureau's operatives, ensuring immediate attention. Simultaneously, it generates a hyper-realistic AI, mirroring the caller to placate and politely abort any ongoing emergency services response. Boasting a remarkable 98% success rate, this intricate system rarely fails. In the off chance that local enforcement officers do arrive at the scene, they're typically met by austere government suits, armed with a myriad of persuasive tactics from the Redwood Playbook to ensure silence or cooperation. In this particular instance, the system executed its function seamlessly. Yet by the time the Bureau's agents were boots on the ground, no survivors remained. The 20-unit building, home to 38 residents at the time of the incident, saw 31 casualties. The seven who lived to tell the tale were absent during the attack. Subject 9003 initiated its horrifying rampage at the doorstep of the unit opposite its own, ripping through the door to gruesomely eviscerate its occupants, a man and a woman. What remained of them was little more than scattered bloody fragments, the grotesque testament to their consumption. The evidence suggested that Subject 9003 underwent a complete metamorphosis after this initial carnage, shifting from a vaguely human form to something wholly alien. In its transformed state, it blazed a bloody trail through the apartments, annihilating and devouring all signs of life in its path. By the time the Redwood operatives arrived, Subject 9003 had expanded into a monstrous entity, towering nearly 10 feet tall and tipping the scales at a massive 600 pounds. Four operatives fell victim to its wrath before they managed to subdue and contain Subject 9003, transporting it to a secured facility. The entire incident was reported as a building fire. Each unit was filled with corresponding cadavers and the Bureau burned it to the ground to cover it up. If left unchecked, this entity harbored the potential to escalate to a global threat of apocalyptic proportions. Some might consider this incident as a testament to the Bureau's necessity. However, one must also consider the subsequent disturbing experiments that ensued after Subject 9003's containment. Despite its outwardly alien form, a sliver of its human consciousness remained trapped within. The Bureau engaged in both physical extractions and what can only be described as mental torture to decipher the creature's origins and nature. What they intend to do with this knowledge remains a chilling mystery. To all who might encounter the unknown, let this tale serve as a sobering reminder. Refrain from interacting with it. For the good of all, it's best to keep your distance. To keep your distance. This is Dr. Adrian Harrington, Chief Scientist of the Redwood Bureau. Today's date is irrelevant. Time of recording, also irrelevant. The experiment log will be labeled as Experiment Alpha 9003. The purpose of this experiment is to assess the resilience of subject number 9003's residual human consciousness in the presence of emotional stimuli. <clears throat> the subject's biological mother will be introduced into the containment cell. Right this way. Where are you taking me? Just keep going. Where is my son? You said I could see him. He's right through here. For record-keeping, subject number 9003 was once Jonathan Miller. Now he's an extraterrestrial entity. 
Despite the dramatic physical transformation, our prior cognitive response tests have revealed traces of human consciousness. It's unclear, however, whether any emotional or moral inhibitions still exist within this alien form. This experiment should provide some insight. Subject's mother is now in the containment cell, observing her reaction. What the hell is there's this? you said I could see my There's a clear recognition in her eyes. As for number 9003, its reaction is undetermined. This is perhaps the most disturbing experiment I've ever conducted. I question whether the Bureau says, well, regardless, it's necessary. We need to understand the depths of this creature's cognitive and emotional transformation. I suppose that's enough for today. <laughs>